Welcome to What's Eric Eating, Culture Map's weekly look at all things Houston bars and restaurants. I'm your host, Culture Map food editor Eric Sandler. I have Paige Lujan from the Upside Pub coming up in a little bit. But first, I'm joined by my co-host this week. He is a Houston hospitality veteran and a co-founder of the Houston Barbecue Festival. Michael Fulmer, welcome back to the show. How are you? I'm fantastic. Thanks for having me here. Thanks for doing this. Let us dive right into the news of the week. Topic number one, the Houston Chronicle has published their list of Houston's top 100 restaurants. It's the first time since 2019 that they have done this. And they've mixed things up a bit instead of primarily relying on critic Allison Cook. It's more of a team effort this year with Allison, Greg Morago, restaurant columnist Bao Ong, editor Jody Schmale, barbecue columnist Chris Reed, and freelance contributor by Fam, all participating in the process. Fulmer, just real quick, here's the top 10 for anyone who hasn't seen this list yet which if you're listening to this podcast is probably pretty unlikely, but they are from one to 10 in order. Gulf Strauman, March, Theodore Rex, Pondicherry four, Hamsa five, Street to Kitchen six, MF Sushi seven, Totemo eight, Kauba nine, and Tris in the Woodlands at 10. Homer, obviously I have some thoughts about this, but let me, let me throw it to you first. What are your overall impressions? You know, do you think they got it right? Um, well, anything subjective, did you get it right? Um, let me put it, let me phrase it this way. Um, I think seeing the multiple viewpoints coming in makes it for a more expansive list. I mean, Allison's been here a long time. She's very well-versed. She's very curious and she hits the road and hits many places. And she's also, I think, thorough. But there's, you know, having multiple viewpoints and having multiple people to cover such a, it's not just that we have lots of restaurants. We're a huge freaking city. All right. And to cover a lot is daunting. And, you know, this makes more sense, I think. And what you're seeing as an end result is something a little more comprehensive uh, and I think uh, expansive in terms of that. You know, whenever you no matter how open minded and how much variety you have in your own uh, viewpoint, you know, having multiple viewpoints, you know, especially people who are well versed uh, is always going to be, I think, uh, something just a little more compelling. And I think that's what we see from this list. And to me, what this list really shows is that they really showed that, you know, it's ultimately the food that mattered. And it's, you know, it sounds almost absurd when you say, well, we're talking about a restaurant, best of restaurant list. But, you know, of course, environment, service, um, you know, pricing, value, all those kind of things can come into play. But they, it looks like they put that as their lead point, you know, the, the tip of the steer, spear, if you will, um, because you're seeing a, a variety of high and low end places all make it not just in the list, but in the top 10. Well, and, um, yeah, let me let me just let me just interrupt just briefly, because you please. you're going exactly where I wanted you to. Let's be let's be direct about this. Now, I really like Golf Strauman. I've written positive things about Golf Strauman. We've said nice things about it on this podcast. I had the chefs, Christopher Hotuft and Paul Key as guests. You and I have dined there together. We've gone there separately. But I I agree with you. Food, food obviously is first on this list, and food is the number one priority 
uh, for both of us when we go out to eat. But I like a little atmosphere too. You know, I I care about the the tables and the chairs and the linens and the way the staff makes me feel and the way the place looks and feels and smells. I, I'm I'm a little bit I'm I'm very surprised that a, a restaurant in a food hall is the is ranked as the best restaurant in Houston because it doesn't really have any of those things other than uh, the service is good. I, I, I have full respect for the service, but it doesn't have that decor. It doesn't have that atmosphere. It doesn't have that sense of occasion. Maybe that I, I prize in a restaurant, you know, March has that all the way, right? That's number two. Right. And March, March is number two. Right. March is exceptional at that. So let me just ask you as someone who has worked in restaurants and, and we should say works at one of the restaurants that's on the list. How, how did that make you feel that number one is a restaurant that, where that's not really part of the package. Okay, so my first reaction was the same as yours. I was really surprised. I was like, wow, a food hall? I had already been there. I'd had nothing but good experiences there. Interestingly enough, I actually ate there last night and had a great experience, and it was a Sunday night, and they were packed. I I think it's very, it shows, coming back to my original statement, it shows that they're making food the number one determinant on this list now yes it's saying best restaurants and restaurants is a very comprehensive term or moniker if you will but by by saying like the food is going to be the most important now none of these places like, like we have counter service places you know pondicherry is number four uh street to kitchen is like you know just a small little place although you get great service there like but you're still getting good service there. You're still, you know, you're still getting the other things that you need for that food to shine. But if you want like the complete package, and this is what lists used to, you know, when you looked at Michelin and James Beard and, you know, the Pellegrino list and so on and so forth that, you know, they, you, they get caught up in these trappings of these places that are very luxurious, very elegant, very, extremely well, extremely highly priced. And that excluded a great portion of really good restaurants. And so it's not necessarily about all the trappings. Now, that doesn't mean you exclude the trappings because then we're going to start seeing food trucks and, you know, guys selling on the side of the road, which isn't necessarily the worst thing, but those things still come into play. But I like that food is the number one determinant on that. And so Gulf Stroman represents that, that, you know, that ethos having March number two. I mean, there's you're arguably there's not a more luxurious or better service place than March. I mean, they just man, they just hit all the notes. You know, there are other places with that are extremely you know, places like Blue Door and they're incredibly comfortable. And the service is outstanding. It's, it's like every time, you know, and but, you know, March is just like March is kind of at the apex there. Right. I, I think that's right. I think anyone can have an opinion. Anyone can quibble with. You know, for me, Blue Orange should be in the top 25. Personally, it would be in my top five. I get that. They didn't go that way. That that's, you know, it's their list. If I if I really want to do something about it, I can write my own damn list, right? So I, exactly. I, I don't want to I don't want to get in the back and forth about about that. But I did just want to kind of bring up I, I came up with like 10 or so restaurants that I was surprised weren't on the list. And and I think, you know, maybe just Maybe just thumbs up, thumbs down from you about whether you agree with me. All right. We'll do that and then we'll and then we'll kind of wrap this up and move on. 
number one with a bullet for me, Hugo's. I, I can't believe Hugo's isn't one of the hundred best restaurants in Houston. When we started texting that morning, the came the list came out. The the two ones that that were a shock for me was uh, Hugo's and Caracol. I consider Caracol a, a top ten restaurant. My experiences have always been that way, and they just have they executed at a very high level. So I was, I mean, I'm going to use the word shocked. I was shocked. Yeah, I I had a fantastic meal at Hugo's in May. You know, they they've been very specific that they they visited all of these restaurants. They evaluated them. I, I can't imagine what happened at their Hugo's visit that they, they didn't have room for it. And then Ostia. You know, Ostia is a new guy on the block. So you could maybe make a comment that, well, maybe they had some misfires early on, but I've been recently, I actually live in the neighborhood where it's at. And uh, in the top 100, most certainly the, the roast chicken, their pizzas are excellent. And that Caesar salad could be the best in town. Best Caesar in town. All right. Yeah. Uchi and or Uchiko. So Uchiko may not even have been open by the time they started canvassing. I'm not sure. No, Uchi- it opened. I think it opened in February or March. It's right. been around. And we've for got a like, what do we have? We have MF Sushi at the top. Then you have Soto. Of course, you have Katarabata. And I think that's it. Am I missing a hidden omakase is on the list. Yeah, hidden omakase uh, is on the list. That's right. Um, yeah. Yeah, no. Uh, Uchi is like at a very high level. I personally have not had the great experiences. Like I've had better experiences at the other places, to be sure. Uh, I know people who've gone there and it's been great. And for some reason, my experiences at Austin have better have been better than the ones here. But like for top 100, you know, how they execute and the quality, I'm surprised it's not in the top 100. All right. Candente. God. Candente's, you know, it's my rock. That was my like our Sunday rock for for the whole pandemic, and just the blending of Tex-Mex, of of bringing in smoked items, of you know taking a very kind of tried and true genre of Tex-Mex and kind of making it their own and making it delicious and making it consistent. I am truly surprised that's not on the list. All right, a little more casual, Brazil. So since AJ took over Brazil, he's taken it to the next level. As we know, uh, the food there is great. And his emphasis on training his staff and bringing them up so that it's not just like him in there, you know, is is admirable. And, you know, certainly one of the best cheeseburgers in town. Uh, the big problem with Brazil, and, and I'm, you know, this maybe goes away from the food issue, but it's really difficult to park there. I mean, I live in the neighborhood and, and I know it can be problematic. And, and that, that makes, you know, that could come into play with it. That could be why. Let me, let me just say one thing about Brazil. If we're talking about food, he's buying from a lot of the same farms that more expensive restaurants are. And he's selling you dishes in that 10 to $20 range with ingredients that you typically pay, you know, 20 to 30 to 40 bucks for. So I, there's a lot of integrity in that. And, and if, again, I know I can write my own list, but Brazil would be on it for me. All right. Uh, State of Grace. State of Grace is a luxurious dining experience, and I love Bobby Matos. He's a incredibly talented chef, and I know he's had his, you know, he's kind of overseeing the, the Ford Fry empire here in Houston. Um, uh, you know, I, I don't. it doesn't have to make the list for me. Like, will I go there? Yes. Uh, if, if it had been on the list, I would not have had contentions with it. Yeah, I I, I can see why it didn't make the list. They put Eunice on the list. I think you, you kind of you know, probably not room for two, you know, they've, they had, they had Eunice and Brennan's and not state of grace. So probably not room for all three of those. 
Uh, I will say I had a very delicious dinner at City Grace last week, and I would go back there in a heartbeat. Tiny Champions. So Tiny Champions, of course, part of the Nancy's Hustle uh, family, you know, and open with great fanfare. Um, I've had good experiences, but not great experiences. I've had better pizzas elsewhere. Um, I've enjoyed myself there. If it had made the list, I would have been totally fine with it. I'm actually okay with it not being on there also. All right. Let me just say there's not really like there's Cultivare and Rosie Cannonball are the only restaurants on the list by my reckoning where you can get pizza. So that also excludes fancier pizzerias. Gypsy Poet and Pizarro's were the two that came to mind for me. Yeah, Gypsy Poet, which I think they're opening for lunch now. I mean, I consider Pizarro's the best pizza in town, hands down. I know Allison had a middling experience there a while back, and I don't know that she's ever gone back. So I, I wonder if they've even gone back to even give it the, the, the opportunity. I think they're the most comprehensively best pizza in town by far. I, I find it interesting that DeMarco is not on the list. Well, that was that's also on. That's another one. Y- you and I kind of agree to disagree about that. I had a I realized it's been more than five years since my last DeMarco visit. So I probably I probably owe it. But I I have too many other Italian restaurants that I love. All right. Well, I'll force you there one day and we can continue to argue about that another time. I look forward to it. All right. Two more and then we'll we'll wrap this up. Chopping block at Post Houston. Man, chopping block is fantastic. If they're gonna put Gulf Stroman on there, then chopping block deserves a space because man, it is just incredible. And it's we're only talking like what seven or eight items on there, maybe, you know, maybe not. Just bringing in that that African cuisine, uh, that like as a hardcore you know meat eater, uh, man, it their vegetarian food is amazing. It's so flavorful. It's so nuanced. Uh, they deserve inclusion. I also understand that you know when you make lists, especially when you get down near the end, you suddenly realize all the ones you're leaving off, and hard choices had to be made. It's unfortunate that didn't make the cut. Yeah, I I agree with you. I think Chopping Block is kind of blowing up nationally. They were just featured in the New York Times. Houston's West African dining options have been featured on, you know, Marcus Samuelson made a episode of No Passport Required about it. A hundred restaurants, I think, if you're if you're really doing Houston justice, you gotta find you gotta find at least one West African restaurant. It would have been Chopping Block for me. Yeah. Surprised me too. not to see it on the list. All right. Last one. And you know, you know, if our friend Matt Harris, you know, if our friend Matt Harris was here, we would have started with this. Uh, No Neo, no Neo on the list. So I think it comes back to the issue is, is Neo a restaurant? Because and this could this could go back to the fact that they're now open, I think, Tuesday through Saturday. And, you know, it's only eight seats, but still that qualifies. But they were more of like a pop up reality. So they kind of they kind of challenged the concept, like, are they indeed a restaurant? Because it was three, you know, two to three nights a week. It was only eight seats. Um, you know, were they a restaurant indeed? I, I think they're moving closer towards what that really identity is. Uh, it, and if that's the case, if we are, if we can define Neo as a restaurant, then it would be number one for me. And I mean, I'm talking all the way, it would be number one. It's that good. Yeah, I got to say, if, if Totemo, which serves a tasting menu two nights a week and brunch on Sundays, and then occasionally a Taco Tuesday pop-up. So operates three or four days a week. 
and their dining room, I think seats 12 or 13. If Totemo is a restaurant and, and I, and I absolutely consider it a restaurant, then not to include Neo seems a little bit arbitrary. And again, this is a very premium dining experience. I understand it's not for everybody, but what those guys do is so exciting, like so delicious and thoughtful and presents flavors and textures in unexpected ways that it, it, it's a, it's a top 10 Houston restaurant for me and not to see it on the list at all is a, is a huge surprise. And let me just, let me just throw one more disclaimer on this. I messaged Bao Ong, the restaurant columnist about coming on the show to talk about this and some other topics. He said he could not get permission from the Chronicle to come on this podcast. Hopefully someday that changes. I, I haven't had the pleasure of meeting Bao yet. I'm enjoying his writing very much. And so I, I just throw that out there someday. Bao Ong, come on this podcast. Let's, let's talk about restaurants. Yeah, um, yeah. He, he's made a he's made a great splash in Houston, and to move here in July from New York and and, and all that, he really jumped in with both feet, and I, I'm excited uh, for him uh, for him being here and what he's going to bring to uh, to the conversation, the general conversation in the coming years. Yes, I agree. All right, former. I'm going to say that does it for topic number one. That is most of the news of the week segment, but let's just very briefly uh, hit a couple of other topics. Topic number two. Artisan's Restaurant has purchased the former James Coney Island space on Westheimer for a new location that is scheduled to open in June of next year. Your brief thoughts on Artisan's and its big move. So when you talk about like, okay, French places and places where people can go and have like either a bistro experience or some kind of French meal, Artisans also often doesn't make the list, maybe because they don't have a French name in there and people don't know that's what it is. But it seems to get kind of lost in the conversation. I don't they're in Midtown, but they don't seem to have done great there. So, I mean, they're moving for a reason. So, I mean, they're going to be right in the heart of the gallery. So that'll give them access to all that. So uh, it seems like a smart move. No, I, I agree. They, they purchased the property. So obviously that's always desirable not to be leasing anymore. It puts them in you know, proximity to great restaurants. You think about everything in the Galleria, you know, Musafir, you know, Nobu, whatever. And then they're very close to Pappas Brothers Steakhouse. And and there's some fun stuff kind of happening in Briar Grove right now. El Tiempo just opened out there. Katz has just opened out there. You and I went to the Warwick a while ago and tried that. So, you know, a lot of changes coming to that general area. And I think, you know, Artisans is not a restaurant I've been to in several years, but you know, a new location is certainly an opportunity to give it a fresh look. And I will say I had a very pleasant uh, conversation with Shock Fox, the owner, and and it just, it made me more excited for them. Yeah, well said. All right. And then topic number three, Gatsby's, the Montrose Steakhouse, has claimed the former Acadian Coast space for Gatsby's Grill, a more casual concept built around Dishes like burgers, wings, pasta, and other comfort food. We should note that Gatsby's just opened Gatsby's Prime Seafood in the former Tony Mandola's space on Wa. So they are very busy. Gatsby's Grill slated to open in January of next year. Michael, what do you think? Um, you know, it, it, Gatsby's is a very the steakhouse on Montrose is a very small place. They executed a high level. 
Uh, it's really good. It's really comfortable. It's romantic. And, and yet you could do a, you, you know, you can do a small business dinner there too, but I I've enjoyed my meals there. Um, so now they're opening the seafood place. Okay. Seafood is, is a harder thing to execute And it's a harder, it's harder to turn a profit because it's not like you can just like, okay, well, we had a slow night. We'll just put this away and we can use it in a couple of days. Like it, it's about freshness. It's about, you know, what's available now. And it's about moving your product. And if you have, for some reason, something slows your business, you know, it can really affect your bottom line very quickly. So for them to already commit to doing a casual place is ambitious. You know, I, you know, I'm not going to label them Icarus here, but uh, that's a lot. So I wish them well, because I think the more quality seafood places, the better we are, because here we are third coast. So let's bring it. Uh, So um, I'll go, I'll go support it. I'll go check it out. But like I said, it's ambitious. No, I I agree. I, it, it is ambitious. We're not going to, we're not going to put them on the stink of other restaurant groups that have expanded really quickly, but no, uh, but you know, what I like about a, a casual concept is, you know, you talked about, you know, seafood is kind of high margins and tight supplies. You know, the burger place is, is a lot more casual. Like it's not, it's not as critical, you know, if it's the me is ta- if it's the me is table of the uh, growing Gatsby's empire, then I think that's all of the good. And And I will say, this is not like exactly in my neighborhood, but it's not, that far away and the acadian coast space is really nice it's got that big patio it's got that great location on navigation plenty of parking so you know i could see this like before astros games or when the weather's nice i I could see this being a a big hit for them so i'm i'm excited about this i look forward to checking this out yeah i don't think you know we you know we want to label the east part of of houston east of downtown Edo and beyond as transitional because it is transitioning in a very rapid way now because there are, you'll see the the homes that are being built there, the townhomes, um, you know, it's all starting to happen. And so restaurants, op- they open up where, where the people is and where the money is. So more power to them. All right. Michael, I'm going to say that does it for the News of the Week. We'll be right back with our Restaurants of the Week. Stick around. This podcast is brought to you by Green Street. Located in the heart of downtown Houston, Green Street celebrates delicious cuisine, exciting entertainment, and live music, all in a vibrant urban setting. Green Street is the perfect spot for a dinner and drinks before or after a big game downtown. Grab a bite al fresco from on-site restaurants such as Guadalajara del Centro, The Palm, House of Blues, or MS Seafood Steaks and Oysters. Now, I'll have to say, I had the opportunity to visit The Palm which relocated to downtown last year. It's an exciting update to just a classic Houston steakhouse, still with the prime steak, still with the giant lobsters, but in a refreshed and updated atmosphere. If you're not coming for dinner or after dinner, enjoy a drink and live entertainment from Pete's Dueling Piano Bar, or grab your friends and head to 810 Billiards and Bowling for a night of fun. Whatever the occasion, make Green Street your downtown destination of choice. Located at 1201 Fannin Street, go to greenstreetdowntown.com to see a full list of bars, restaurants, and entertainment destinations. That's greenstreetdowntown.com. Michael, for our Restaurants of the Week, I want to talk to you about what I am calling the Highland Village Pasta Bang Bang. This is... <laughs> you better define that. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. So, I, I don't know. Am I allowed to... 
reference Louis C.K. I, I know he's a problematic comedian these days, I'll but go ahead. it's a funny bit where he talks. He talks about a bang bang is where you go to one restaurant, you eat until you're full, and then you go to another restaurant and you do it all over again, back to back. We didn't indulge in that kind of level of gluttony, but there are two Italian restaurants that are located very close to each other in Highland Village, in the Highland Village area. And so we we had lunch at both of them. Uh, they are numero 28, which is actually in Highland Village. It's the old uh, Drexel House space. It was very briefly Alma, a South American restaurant. And the second one is Devanti, which is the new home of Chef Roberto, formerly of Fresco Cafe Italiano. It is on Wesleyan between Westheimer and West Alabama. I I know we, we ran long on, on top 100, but give me your thoughts on numero 28. What did you, we had, we had a pizza, we had arancini, we had their cacio e pepe. What'd you think? Okay. I'll be as brief in a rare way as possible. Numero 28, which, you know, of course that comes out of, you know, New York and is, I, I was really pleasantly surprised at how good it was. I liked the environment, the fixtures. It looks Italian without looking like it came from like a, a you know, a, a Disney concept of what Italian being, you know, like let's check the boxes. Yeah. It, you know, it, it so doesn't look like it came out of like, um, like a movie or something. It, right. It, right. It's got character. It's got identity. Like if you walk in, you're like, Oh, this is probably an Italian place, but it doesn't feel, you know, cliched about that. So that's comfortable. The service was good, but like they having the cacio de Pepe in, you know, the round of, I guess it was Pecorino and it wasn't just a show, which is nice. It's always nice to have the dog and pony show, but it was like really good. It was really good. Like I would definitely go back and have that. I thought the food there was solid. I like the pizzas. I like the environment. They've got a full liquor license too. So you can go and have your Negroni. Well, I'll just leave it Negroni from there. And uh, like actually several people I know went there later this weekend and they had good things to say about it. So in an area, as you and I have talked about, that Highland Village is being kind of devoid of any kind of decent restaurants. I think it's kind of a, a nice island in the sea there. No, I, I agree with all that. I, I really like that arancini. It was crispy on the outside. The rice wasn't uh, mushy or overcooked in any way. It had that bolognese in the middle. I mean, you know, I'm a sucker for a rice ball, and those are those were very satisfying. Personally, the cacio e pepe for me, I love the presentation of twirling it in the pecorino wheel. But I think the result is that it's a little more cacio, and I would have liked a little more pepe. Yeah, it was me. definitely creamy, and I'm more of a pepper person too. Like, is it the best cacio de pepe in town? No, it's not. But you know, it was serviceable enough. Right? Was it tasty and satisfying? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. All right, and then they they have a porchetta a porchetta on the menu uh, that I am very eager to go back and try because I've I've seen pictures and it looks good. So. Uh, all right. And then uh, Devante, you and I had a couple of pastas, uh, a cacio e pepe, of course, with rigatoni, just, uh, you know, for the sake of an honest comparison. And then we uh, and then we got a, a special an off the menu special with scallops, tegli, tagliatelle and scallops. Michael, what did you think of Devante? Okay, so the environment screams mediocrity. It's in the bottom of an office park. It's you know, it's it's counter service. Uh, you know, the fixtures, there's nothing about it that really, I mean, it just looks like any other place. You could be in any strip mall, you know, not just anywhere in Houston, but anywhere in, in the country. But the food was outstanding. It really exceeded the environment. Um, 
Cacio de Pepe, I actually liked a little bit better than what we had at numero 28. Um, the, the, the pasta with the truffles was good, you know, uh, but that dessert that they brought out, it was kind of a sort of a semi Fredo. I mean, it's obviously that, is it chef Roberto? Is it? Yeah. Chef Roberto. I have to admit, I don't have his, yeah, I don't have his last it's, name it's in front of me. It's clear that his, like his acumen and him having him back there really makes a difference because it takes like a, what's a very garden variety environment and turns it into a really pleasant, good meal at, at really well priced at a good value. You know, it's uh, yeah, I, I it's think... the daddy. It's the street to kitchen of new <laughs> Italian restaurants. Underwhelming location, overwhelming food. Yeah, I think if you want, like your tagline is that's it right there. We can talk for the next ten minutes about it, but I think that sums it up perfectly. <laughs> All right. So then, the, the sixty-four dollar question to use an extremely dated reference: Which of these two restaurants would you go back to first? Numero twenty-eight, definitely. Uh, and it's really ultimately for environment that would do it for me because the food was comparable at both places. Uh, but uh, like numero 28, it's just like, that's the kind of place I'd want to relax. I could go there on a date. I could go there with friends. I could even go there solo and eat at the bar and be happy with all three of those. I, I think that Devante is more serviceable. Like, Hey, this is, we're going to service the, the neighborhood, you know, there was a lot of neighborhood people and that neighborhood is Highland village river Oaks. There was like nothing but like beamers and Porsches and all that kind of thing. And they all seem, you know, dressed casually and they all seem to be enjoying themselves as much as we were. Yeah. Not surprising. I think I saw three Maseratis in the parking lot. Very appropriate at an Italian restaurant. Yeah. Right. Maserati <laughs> drivers. Uh, you know, I think for me, Devante is kind of like, it's just, it's so appealing because it's, it's, it's very affordable. It's counter service. So you tip less. It's just, it's easy. And so for that, I think it might be, it might be Devante, but then they don't have, but man, that porchetta at, at numero 28 is calling my name. So I, if I had to guess, I think probably back there, back there first, but really enjoyed our meals at, at both of these restaurants. Yeah. So did I, for me, it ultimately comes down to also that, you know, is it destination worthy? I have two really good, Right. Italian is it, places. Is it worth driving past Giacomo's from Montrose? Right. And that's or, always, not, or, or, that, or, or, or going to Polly's, you know, where right. I, I'm going to have a great experience. And the answer to that is, is no for me. All right. Michael, I'm going to say that does it for the restaurants of the week. Thank you very much. Hey, thanks for having me. And I'll be right back with Paige Lujan. I am joined this week by the owner of Upside Pub in Garden Oaks, Paige Lujan. Welcome to the show. How are you? Eric, I'm great. Thanks so much for having me. Thanks for doing this. You know, when I when I have people on the show for the first time, I always kind of like to start at the beginning. So just tell me a little bit about kind of how you got into the, the world of restaurants and bars. Yeah. Um, so I, um, I went to college in Southern California and I... Um, I actually studied abroad in, I'm going way back. Um, I studied abroad in the Czech Republic and um, I got really interested in kind of the cultural aspect of the beer industry while I was there. Um, so when I came back um, to the US, um, I thought that I was going to uh, be going to grad school for post-secondary education administration. 
Um, and I very quickly learned that that was not the path I wanted to take. And I was crying to my Long Island Jewish mother and she looked me square in the face and said, well, you really like beer. And I said, that's the craziest thing anyone's ever said to me, but okay. Um, and so I started to explore kind of the industry in Los Angeles. Um, this was around 2008. And I got really lucky that the, um, the craft beer industry in LA was, was really just starting to take off around that time. And so um, I really got the opportunity to meet a lot of people, both bar owners and restaurant owners and brewery owners, and to learn a lot from some really great mentors and people. Um, and uh, from there, you know, I kind of made the decision I could have gone kind of the brewery sales and marketing route or the hospitality route. And um, at the time I was working at three different beer bars um, and just really enjoyed the idea of sharing product with people, um, in, in, on mass, if you will. Um, and, uh, that's kind of why I decided to stay in the bar restaurant route. And, um, I wound up meeting my, uh, the gentleman who became my business partner, Tony, um, at one of those beer bars. And we went on to create, uh, 17 different concepts um, in Southern California uh, for about 12 years um, before I came here to Houston to start my own thing. All right. So what prompted you to come to, to Houston then? Um, yeah. So nothing or, specific. Or, and, and yeah. maybe just, and, and maybe just of all of the places you could have come, you know, from Southern California, yes. why, why Houston? Why Houston? Yeah. Um, I will say I consider myself like a Houston evangelist now after only a year and a half. So I, I could tell you why Houston for a long time, but, um, the, the short story is, um, you know, we were planning on opening, uh, my husband and I were planning on opening our small independent business, um, in Southern California, you know, where I had had my career. And I think COVID changed a lot. Um, and we decided that, um, we wanted to explore other places to, you know, kind of start our, our entrepreneurial career. Um, and, uh, being from the Northeast, I do have a latitude. I have to stay under, uh, cause I can never be cold again. Um, but, uh, you know, we, we actually took a road trip and we visited a few different cities in kind of the Southwest, South and Southeast. And we stayed um, in each one for about a week and a half to two weeks. And I was in Houston for about two days. And I looked at my husband and I said, we're going to live here. Um, I think that Houston has such an incredible cultural pride. Um, you know, it's something that if you're from here, you may take for granted, but I've never lived somewhere where the people of the city care so much about the success of the city, not just about their own businesses or their own families or, you know, what it is they're doing, but they genuinely care about what happens to Houston and to the people of Houston. And that really resonated with me. Um, and I just kind of knew I wanted to be a part of it. And I wanted to open my business in a place that people cared like that about their city. And so I feel really, really lucky that we were able to kind of have the opportunity to, to visit and to feel that immediately. And, you know, it's, it's been true for the, the year and a half that we've been here. And now, you know, we kind of get to be a part of it and give back to that as well. Tell me a little bit about how you settled on, on Garden Oaks and kind of how you developed the concept for the Upside Pub. Um, so the concept for the Upside Pub, I've uh, kind of had going for a while. Um, 
you know, again, I've, I've been doing this for about 15 years. And what I've learned is that the thing that I like the most is being able to have a place that's small enough that I can be personally involved on a day-to-day basis. Um, and that it's also casual enough that the, the guests that are coming in and, and the community around it can really feel involved and can feel comfortable and can feel ownership over a place. Um, and that's really what the Upside Pub is. It's, it is. it is a neighborhood pub, no more, no less, as I like to say. Um, and it's really a gathering place. Um, it, it's a place that has, you know, we've got great food, we've got great drinks, but really what you're coming for is, is the hospitality and the regularness and the knowing of not only your name, but the name of the person sitting next to you on either side. Um, and as far as why Garden Oaks, um, you know, we explored a lot of different neighborhoods in Houston, which again is one of my favorite things about Houston is that, you know, you can drive two miles and you're in a completely different feeling place. Um, Garden Oaks just seemed like a place that was missing that everyday come as you are hangout. Um, And, you know, I wasn't opening this place just for the sake of opening it. I wanted to open it somewhere where it felt needed and wanted. Um, And, you know, selfishly, I really like Garden Oaks and I was excited to live here and to be a part of the community personally, as well as professionally, uh, which we are, we live right down the street from the pub. (laughs) You know, I have to say that that personal feeling or, or, you know, you being there and being present, you know, I I think that's something that Becky uh, Masson and I really appreciated when we visited now, I mean, obviously you knew we were coming, so it's not like, <laughs> it's not like we tried to sneak attack you or anything. No, that's very true. I am there every day anyway, though. So I would have been there if you sneak attack. <laughs> uh, but, but, you know, but you were greeting other customers. I mean, and, and maybe just talk a little bit about kind of putting together the menu. Cause it is this kind of really eclectic, you know, you've got some kind of Texany things. You've got a couple of East coast things. You've got that you know, California burrito with the French fries in it and the, and the hot dog <laughs> that, that goes back to your college days in LA. I mean, you know, how did you kind of create that thing and, and what was kind of the inspiration for it? Yeah. Um, so uh, for for me, the menu, you know, I knew that I wanted it to be what I call small but mighty. You know, we it's a small place. We didn't want to overdo it. We didn't want to try and do anything that would be, you know, too complicated for our small kitchen um, size wise, you know, and ingredient wise. Um, And when it came to the exact items, you know, we knew we wanted it to be um, things that were easy to understand, but kind of put our own twist on them. Um, And we also wanted it to feel personal. You know, this place, you know, I call it selfish altruism, right? Like, a lot of the things that are in this place are there because it's stuff that we felt like we would enjoy. And, um, you know, we wanted to be able to share that with other people. Um, and so my husband and I really thought about things that either we had eaten as kids or we had um, eaten during our travels together. Um, you know, boiled peanuts is my favorite one of that. I had never heard of boiled peanuts until we took a trip to uh, Florida and, you know, stopped at a roadside stand and had this mind blowing snack that came in a styrofoam cup and completely changed everything we'd ever thought about peanuts. Um, 
So, it, you know, it's stuff like that, that we really, we really wanted everything to have a bit of a story and to have a reason. Um, that being said, my husband nor I are chefs or frankly, even cooks for that matter. And so it really was us giving ideas to our awesome kitchen manager, David Brown, and in him uh, being able to kind of listen to two operations people and say, okay, I'm going to be able to make this for the masses now. <laughs> and him really helping us to decipher what it was we were looking for in our stories and in those items and why they were important to us. <laughs> right. right. Turning the ideas you had in your head into dishes and then serving them to you and having you taste them and be like, oh yeah, that's it. It's literally. Yes. Like we, I would say like, uh, you know, for example, we have this <laughs> on our patty melt. We, um, we have these like cheese wings, basically. They're like crispy extra slices of cheese that like purposefully hang off of our patty melt. And it took about three days of me using very weird words before uh, David was like, oh, you literally want a piece of cheese hanging off on the griddle and getting crispy. Okay, we can totally do this. Like it was that type of stuff <laughs> for a few weeks. <laughs> yeah, it's almost like the the crispy cheese on the crust of a Detroit style pizza. Exactly. But, that's, but hanging... that, that would have been a much better way for me to describe it <laughs> than I did. <laughs> and, and, uh, and so let me just ask you kind of an open-ended question. Uh, you've been open for what, a couple of months now? Uh, it's uh, 10 weeks. I, I feel like it's a child. I'm still talking in weeks, not months yet. Yes. <laughs> so how's it going? It's going great. Um, you know, my, my favorite part about the whole thing is, we kept saying, as, as much as we want to invite everyone in, we really are building this place for the, you know, Garden Oaks, Oaks Forest, Northern Heights community, right? You know, that mile radius. And that really is who is coming in. Um, and, you know, it's, it's super cheesy to say, but it does feel like cheer sometimes. You know, we know the name of at least half the people that are coming in here. And we know about their kids already. And we know about their businesses. Um, and, you know, we're starting bicycling groups and football groups and all of that great stuff. And, um, you know, it really is the vision that we had for what it is. And, and we're really hoping that we can just continue to grow on that community feeling and on that neighborhoodiness. Um, the one downfall I will say is that I have some people who come in and say, uh, you know, man, sometimes I, I just don't want to talk to anybody, but I know I'm going to run into someone I know if I come here. <laughs> so we need to like uh, find like a private room that people can go sit in by themselves and they don't want to talk to their neighbors. <laughs> I, I mean, at least the, the weather's cooling off, you know, I, I'd yeah. say just just like go hang out in the in the far end of the patio. That's what we say. We're like we're like the patio is a good place to not run into your neighbors. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, you know, I think. I want to kind of circle back on that kind of building a community thing. Cause I know you've started a couple of initiatives related to that. You're, you're doing, you're doing some community service and volunteer opportunities. So, so tell me a little more about that. Yeah. Um, I'm really glad you asked about that. Cause it's so much fun. So um, when I first got to Houston, um, I didn't have much to do except for look at properties, um, which uh, you know, I can see three in a day or I could see zero in a day when we're looking, you know, when you're looking for business properties. And so I definitely had some time on my hands and I wound up getting involved with Kids Meals Inc., um, which is based here in Garden Oaks. And um, the way I describe them is they're kind of like meals on wheels for preschool aged kids. Um, and I would go there and volunteer once or twice a week. And I just I really fell in love with the initiative. Um, I really appreciated that it was really hands on. It wasn't just 
donating money or, you know, going and, and giving, getting other people to give money, you know, you're literally there making the sandwiches that these kids are going to eat five days a week. Um, and so when we were ready to go with Upside Pub, um, you know, I knew I wouldn't be able to be there as often. And so I went to the volunteer coordinator, Monique, and I said, you know, hey, how can I help even though I'm not there? And she said, well, build lunches at your place. And so um, we did our, we actually had our first meal pack this past weekend. So the third Saturday of every month, we um, are going to be packing lunches for kids meals on our patio from 1130 to 1230. And it was so awesome to have turnout, you know, from the community. It was kids, it was adults, um, it was dogs, there were dogs there. <laughs> and, um, you know, we did, we packed 120 lunches um, and we did it so fast. I said, man, I need to, you know, double my supplies for the next time. And um, it was just so awesome to so early on be able to have an opportunity to be a bigger part of the community because that really is the goal, right? You know, obviously we need to have a, a thriving business and we need to have a business that can support ourselves and our employees, but we also want to make sure that it's a business that is giving back because you can't really be a part of community just within your four walls all the time. Um, and so it was really, really cool to have the opportunity to work with kids meals and to continue to be able to work with them in the capacity. Um, and also, you know, it was great to be able to expose um, some companies with larger budgets to them. Right. So, you know, I had two different liquor companies reach out to me and say that they would like to donate, you know, pretty big amounts of products. Um, I had a woman who works for, um, uh, you know, a larger transportation company who said that they could donate stuff. And so it was really awesome to be able to give exposure to this great charity in that way as well. They're not donating liquor to the kids meals, right? They're not, they're not. That that okay. would be a super fun. Uh, they, I think the volunteer coordinator might like if I donated some stuff, but um, no, they would be donating uh, Cheez-Its and Chex Mix and uh, apple juices. Yeah. <laughs> just, just, just making sure. Just to be clear, fair, fair, fair uh, assessment. Yes. <laughs> and, and, and let me just get a little bit philosophical with you because, you know, right. you said, <laughs> you said that there really wasn't a bar like the Upside Pub in Garden Oaks when you started looking around. And I would submit to you that there used to be, and it was called the petrol station. Yeah, I've heard and, about it. And it and it closed kind of early pandemic for all kinds of reasons, none of which are worth really discussing. <laughs> but but I have noticed over the past couple of years that our craft beer bars, the Ginger Man, the Hay Merchant, have closed recently. Meanwhile, breweries are thriving. Mm -hmm. Right. So we have we have fewer craft beer bars and more than, than we used to and more craft beer breweries than ever. And that's certainly true in Garden Oaks. I mean, you're, you're very close to Great Heights. You're very close to, uh, oh, on North Shepherd, like right down the street from you. Oh, Brash. Uh, just, well, yeah, Brash just reopened. Oh, Astral, and then Astral is the, is the one yeah. I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and lots of others. You're not that far from Eureka Heights. Nope. <laughs> so in, in, a, in a world where, it seems to me, it is my perception, and, and you can reject the premise and, and do whatever you want, but <laughs> but where craft beer drinkers, for the most part, are going to breweries, not bars, what is the role of a bar like yours in, in that world? Yeah, that's a super fair question. And to be frank, there was a bit um, of an ego check for me uh, about 
I don't know, maybe two years ago when, when, uh, we were really, when my husband and I were really, um, you know, thinking about this concept, uh, and uh, to be clear, my husband doesn't work uh, at the pub on a daily basis. He has what I like to call a real job. Um, so, um, but, but he's very much a part of the inspiration, the philosophical aspect of this. And, you know, I, my background is craft beer as much as hospitality, it's craft beer. That's my love. That's my passion. That's what I've really dedicated myself to for a very long time. And so, you know, for me, the idea of even pulling a full liquor license was uh, a, a big thing for me to handle. I kept saying, oh, you know, no, people are going to come for the craft beer and they're going to come for this. And uh, my husband really had to ego check me. And he said, Paige, he said, with all due respect, you know, the, the craft beer industry is doing OK. He said, that's not what's going to make this place unique. He said, what's going to make this place unique is that you have something for everybody. Um, not everything, but that you have something for everybody. He said, and not everyone is a craft beer drinker. And so while I do totally agree with you, Eric, that a lot of craft beer drinkers have switched from a, a bar and or restaurant pub scene to the, the, you know, the sources, so to speak, which I think is awesome. Just to be super duper clear, I had four brew pubs, um, back in LA and, the idea of going to the source for that fresh product, I think is genius and is super cool and is a great way to do it. I think what makes us unique is that you, you don't have to be a craft beer drinker to enjoy our place. You know, we have full liquor, we have really good wine. Um, and as someone who is, is not a wine person, um, myself, um, you know, I called in some audibles, you know, I got some people who did know wine who could help me to, make sure that was right. Um, you know, we do, we have food, which, uh, breweries don't always have, they have food trucks, but they don't have stuff that's made on site. Right. And it's not always consistent. I think that's a big thing too. Um, and I think just having that consistency and that ability to have a drink that everyone can enjoy as their first want, as opposed to, Oh, we're going to this place. I don't normally drink craft beer, but I'll do it because that's where my friends are hanging out. Um, I think that, changes things a little bit and it makes it so that everyone can congregate in one place and can enjoy it. Um, and then once you're there, we're a super awesome place to hang out. Right. Um, and we have some really great hospitality driven service. Um, we've got some great staff who is going to know who you are and is going to know what your order is. Um, and I think that that really is a change that it's really not just about the craft beer. Um, and you know, what, what, I want to drink physically, per personally, it's about what the guests want to drink. Yeah, I, you know, I, not to besmirch the reputation of, of the petrol station and, and not to overuse a reference that I, that's kind of a go-to for me, but it, it reminds me, that place reminded me a little bit of uh, the record store in the John Cusack movie, High Fidelity, uh -huh. where it was like, you were lucky to be able to buy their cool beer and gotcha. if you and if you didn't know what a certain beer was, then tough shit essentially. <laughs> so, you know, at, at least at the upside, you know, I could say to you, I like Berliner Weissers. I like beers that are a little sour. I like, you know, I don't want an IPA that's going to like make my mouth pucker. You know, what do you have? And and then you said, you know, you recommended a Lone Pint beer, a saison that I don't think I'd ever had before. Because usually when I hear Lone Pine, it's it's Yellow Rose. Mm -hmm. 
And so, you know, I like that you're still supporting the local breweries, but, but maybe with a beer that either people aren't, aren't as familiar with, or you don't have to have, you know, buckle bunny or whatever on there just to, you know, cause that's relatively easy to get. Sure. Yeah. You know, for me with beer, um, I was definitely a, a beer snob myself for a long time, pr- proudly so. Right. Um, and uh, I definitely at one point had the tude of, you know, if you, what, how, what do you mean? You don't know what a lambic is. I don't understand. Um, but, you know, obviously my, my philosophies and opinions have changed. And I tell my staff a lot of the time, you know, if someone doesn't know what something is, that's our opportunity to educate and not to educate by, you know, spouting out a bunch of words and facts that don't mean anything to them, but by just letting them drink it, you know, at the end of the day, it doesn't matter how much you know, or don't know about beer. You always know what you like, what tastes good to you. And that's frankly the only important part. Um, you know, the names of the styles and the, you know, exact ABVs and IBUs and gravities and all of these things, while it's interesting to some people, it's not interesting to everyone. Some people just want to drink a beer. And that doesn't mean that just because they only want to drink a beer that they want something basic. Um, it just means that they don't want to think about it as hard as, as some of us do. And that's perfectly fine. <laughs> well, and, and, and let's be clear. If someone does want to geek out with you about IBUs. Oh, and, I'm ready. <laughs> yeah. You, you know, all that stuff. I'm ready to go. Yeah. Let's, let's rock out. I'm, I'm totally down. I, I, I love it. Um, but again, this isn't just about me, right? It's about everybody, but yeah, anyone out there who is down for some geeking out, I am totally here for it. And I also like learning new things too. You know, as, as many beers as I have drank in drank drunk in uh, the Houston area in the past year and a half, I know that there are plenty that I do not know. Um, so uh, I'm always down for, for myself to be educated as well. So come on in and give me an education guys. Well, and, and what have you sort of found at the local breweries as you've kind of made your way through them? Um, uh, so interestingly, stylistically, Houston, uh, has surprised me. Um, you know, this whole like Bach thing is, has really freaked me out. It's like been a whole new education for me. Who would have thunk that box are a big deal? Uh, so that's been really fun to, um, explore. Um, I've also been really, uh, excited by, the amount of um, kind of non-adjunct stuff that is still super popular. Um, and so by that, I mean, you know, uh, items that aren't like peanut butter, marshmallow, barrel aged 11%. Um, you know, I think that those really were taken over for a hot second. And it's been so nice to be in Houston breweries where people are just drinking a pale ale or like drinking a Kolsch, one of my favorite styles, or drinking a, a super crispy lager. lager. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. Like I'm a huge lager gal. Um, all lagers, but black lager is like my real thing, but I'll, I'll drink them all. Um, so yeah, it's been really, really nice to drink like simple, really quality beers at a lot of the Houston breweries that I've been to. And then, you know, I know you just opened this place and you're still kind of getting your feel for the city. You said you like a place because you, you a small place because you can be there all the time. I mean, do you have aspirations to do 
multiple locations or different concepts or, or is this kind of it? Uh, I would love to be lucky enough for this to go well and for us to be able to do one or two more. Um, I don't know if it would be exactly the upside pub or, um, you know, it would be something similar or, you know, for that matter, if we were to go into a new neighborhood, they may not want exactly the upside pub, right? So it could potentially be something different. Um, so yes, are those aspirations there? Absolutely. That being said, you know, I've been doing this for a long time and I think the number one thing that I've learned is paying attention to what you have and making that really great is by far more important than thinking about what you could potentially do in the future. So for right now, I'm so happy to have the Upside Pub and to have the community coming in that is and, and you know, helping to kind of grow what we have coming in. And that's for sure the number one priority right now. Well, I have to say that brings me to the end of my questions. Is there anything I haven't asked you about that you would like to discuss? Um, I would like everyone uh, to come into the Upside Pub. I'd like them... <laughs> to know uh, that we're open for lunch, dinner, and late night, seven days a week. Um, and we've got some great programming, um, like our Tasting Tuesdays, where um, our kitchen manager, David, does a, a brand new item uh, every single Tuesday, everything from hot chicken sandwiches to pho. And um, we also uh, are starting brunch on the weekends, starting this weekend. So we've got a bunch of different cool stuff coming out that way. Yeah. So let me, I know you did, you did something for uh, Rosh Hashanah recently. Do you have ideas for celebrations for other Jewish holidays? I mean, are we going to see Hanukkah at the Upside Pub or a, a Passover Seder? You will absolutely see both. Yes. <laughs> uh, absolutely. See both. Very non-traditional, but yes. Forum at the Upside Pub with the costume contest and, and shots could be really fun. You know that's what? Special. That's actually an awesome idea because we're not we we kind of uh, missed doing a big Halloween thing this year. There was just a little bit too much going on, so we could totally do Purim instead, and that would be uh, like our post Halloween in in a few months. That sounds that's a very good idea, Eric. I'm going to take that and run. With All right, it. you can have you can have that. Thank you. I appreciate that, it. Consider <laughs> that my gift. Yeah, consider that my gift to you. Uh, <laughs> All right. Well, before I let you go. We have to play the lightning round. Okay. Five easy questions, five short answers. I'm really excited about I've always wanted to do something like this. And when I saw that this was your thing, I got really excited. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Paige Lujan, what is your favorite style of beer? Black lagers, Schwartz beers. What is the first band you ever saw in concert? Lit. What is your fast food guilty pleasure? It has to come from a restaurant with a drive-thru. Uh, Wendy's chicken sandwiches and Frosties. Now, I know you're new in town, but you're showing sports on the TV. So who is your favorite Houston sports figure? Kyle Tucker. And then finally, when you are ordering a pizza, what are your go-to toppings? Uh, mushrooms, red onion, and pepperoni. Do I get multiple? <laughs> no, that, that is absolutely the correct answer. All right. <laughs> In the sense that it is also my answer. Oh, nice. <laughs> Paige, Paige Lujan, give us the website uh, for the Upside Pub and the social media. How can people keep track of what you've got going on? So uh, we're at the Upside Pub and it's upsidepub.com. We keep it simple, short and sweet. Thanks very much. Thank you so much. I really appreciate your time. 
You can follow me on Instagram at Eric Sandler. Keep it locked on culturemap.com for all the latest Houston bar and restaurant news. Thanks so much for listening. I'll be back next week.